Well, good morning, church. This is certainly unique circumstances that we are uh, under, but uh, we have the privilege of being able to study the Word of God together and thankful for modern technology that enables us to do that. And so uh, we will be uh, opening the Word of God together. But before we do, let's bow together and ask the Lord's help for us. Our Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you have spoken it loud and clear to us. And we thank you that it applies to any and all circumstances. That it was true thousands of years ago when it was written. It's true today because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we ask that you would please illumine our minds, help us to see the wonderful things that are in your law, that we might delight in them and trust you more wholeheartedly, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, folks, we certainly are living in uncertain days, and the uncertainty has caused our country and the world towards, uh, to turn towards fear and to panic about the future. This is no more evident than the drop in stock values on Wall Street and also, a little closer to home, the stock and toilet paper uh, at our local stores. But in the midst of these uncertain days, we're, we're faced with questions and situations that many of us have never had to face before. We're seeing our, our nation grind to a halt of all but necessary functions. We're seeing people fearing for their lives as they anticipate an epidemic in this country of this new virus. And people are afraid. And if we're honest, we can feel some of that same fear begin to tug at our own hearts. When there are natural disasters or epidemics, we're shaken out of our daily routine. We're suddenly on edge about what's next. And of course, this isn't helped by the 24-hour news cycle. Every news outlet wants your eyes and they want them glued 24-7. And so they publish or broadcast updates nonstop. And don't get me wrong, update information is helpful and necessary. But inundating our minds with news nonstop can lead us to a bad place. Why does it do this? Why does it have this effect upon us? Well, it's because our hearts respond to the truth that it's given. And therefore, it's vitally important for us to be feeding our minds and our hearts the right truth. And so we need to know about our present circumstances, and so we turn on the news. But we also need to be reminded of our faithful God, and so we open our Bibles. In other words, if the only news that we're feeding our hearts during these days comes from the unbelieving world, then we will fail to respond as Christians to the crisis around us. As followers of Christ, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, Deuteronomy 8.3 says. We are defined by our trust in the Lord. We are believers, those who have placed their faith in the triune God. So in the midst of such uncertain and potentially frightful circumstances, we must turn to God's word in order to recalibrate our thinking. 
We must take every thought captive to obey Christ, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 says. And so to help us do this, I've chosen Psalm 121 for our consideration this morning. And so I encourage you, wherever you are, to take out your personal copy of God's Word and turn there to Psalm 121. Now, as you're turning there, Psalm 121 is one of the Psalms of Ascent. These are a group of psalms that range from Psalm 120 to 134 that uh, were songs that were sung by pilgrims, Israelite pilgrims, who were traveling from wherever they lived in Israel up to Jerusalem in order to worship the Lord during the three major feasts of Israel. The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Passover. These psalms, as they were sung during their travels, uh, would gladden the Israelites who walked the many miles to the capital city. It would remind them of their God. It would bolster their trust in the Lord. Now, although our situation is different, we are not pilgrims walking upon a dirt path to a city. We too are pilgrims, are we not? We're passing through this land. This world is not our home. We are exiles, as Peter says. We are on our way to a heavenly city, and we too need to be reminded of our God in the midst of our journey. So let's read this psalm together. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now this psalm's theme is easily discernible. The word keep and its variants are repeated six times in this passage. Six times. And while some translations translate it differently throughout the psalm, I appreciate the ESV that has translated it keep or kept or keeper all the way through so you can see the how many times that word is used for us English readers. And so the psalmist simply wanted to communicate that the Lord is his keeper. And he wanted his readers to know that they can look to the Lord to watch over and guard us through all the circumstances of our lives. The specific circumstances that this pilgrim, the author, is in are vague. We don't know what the real danger is. We don't know what he's really facing, and that is actually helpful because it makes it apply broadly to all of us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. To all the saints, through all the ages, across the entire globe, the psalm applies. And the psalmist wrote it to apply that broadly. So he begins this psalm by making a statement and then asking a question. 
He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Now, it's unclear why he lifts his eyes to the hills. Does he see danger in the hills? Does, does it represent the problems he's facing at the moment and, and, and that's where the danger lies? Or do the hills take a, mean something else? Do they prompt the pilgrim to look to the Lord? Do they represent the hills maybe around Jerusalem, the city that he's traveling to? And so, therefore, as a pilgrim traveling to that great city, he's looking up to the place that he's going to where the temple is and where he can worship the Lord. And so he's reminded of the Lord as he looks to the hills. We don't know exactly why he looks to the hills. But as he does so, he's prompted to ask himself a penetrating question. From where does my help come? And folks, this is a question that every person should ask. And when danger is on our doorstep, we are forced to ask it of ourselves than when peace and prosperity abound. Because when life is good, we don't feel like we need any help. But it's when there's some sort of threat that we're left scrambling, looking for security, looking for help. And where do we go? Where do we turn for that help? Where does your ultimate confidence lie? That's the question we all need to ask. The psalmist here answers his own question, though. He says, my help comes from the Lord. His ultimate confidence rested in the Lord. Now, the name for the Lord here, as represented in our English translations with the all caps, is, is Yahweh, the covenant name of God. He is the promise-keeping God. The one who has spoken and has redeemed his people. And Yahweh here is designated as the source of the psalmist's help. The psalmist does not see Yahweh as one avenue among many. Thinking that, oh, I'll go to God for help and I'll go other places to help and I'll just keep my options open. Neither is he just throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks and saying, well, I guess I'll try Yahweh and see if that works. No, he's saying that his help comes from God and from God alone. That is the exclusive place where he is looking for security and for help in his trial. And this is in line with the declarations of the godly throughout the book of Psalms. Verses that no doubt are familiar to you. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. There are others, but you get the point. The Psalms throughout the book remind us that our hope can only be in God. Our security can only be in God. Our help can only be found in God. Here in Psalm 121, the psalmist had first looked up to the hills, but now he says his gaze goes higher. 
he looks up to the heavens. His, the gaze of his soul is upon God. And so, dear brothers and sisters, as children of the Lord, we too must look to him for our soul's security. Our help comes from the Lord, just like it did for this believer thousands of years ago. The Lord is the same today as he was then. He does not change. He is the same God, just as dependable, just as trustworthy. And so, this is true for us no matter what our circumstances, no matter what you're going through right now. God is your help. To look anywhere else for aid is absurd. It's foolish. The Puritan commentator Matthew Henry wrote, he said, nothing is more foolish than a security built upon the world and its promises, for they are all vanity and a lie. Friends, to look for our ultimate security, our hope, and the fortress of our souls to be anything in this life is foolish. It's as Jesus said, building our house upon a sand, and when the wind and rains come, it's washed away. We need to build our lives upon the rock. And yet, isn't it true we are tempted to look so many other places than the Lord? We want peace and security, and we, and we, we look all around us. We want to trust ourselves that we have the ingenuity and the wisdom and, and knowing exactly what steps to take to be secure and to be prepared. We want to trust doctors exclusively. We tempted to trust governments exclusively. And while these are certainly can be helps in our lives here and we can trust their word to help us discern the wise path, our ultimate help, our ultimate trust cannot be in man. John Calvin the reformer wrote this. He said, Although all the helps of the world, even the mightiest, should offer themselves to us, we ought not seek safety anywhere but in God. And you might be asking, How do I know if the Lord's my help? I want the Lord to be my help. How do I know if, if he truly is? We need to look at our daily life. Do we find ourselves calling out to God in prayer in the midst of life? Is that channel of prayer open to us and a one that we regularly use? How's your emotional state? Are you anxious and worrisome or are you at peace? Where does your heart run when some news rocks your world? Do you first run to the Lord? Do you go to that ultimate place of safety and help the one who is in control of everything else? You see, our faith must draw us back to the Lord so that we can say, along with the psalmist, my help comes from the Lord. But this leads us to the question, why can we look to the Lord to be our true and our ultimate help? Why can he be trusted in every circumstance? Well, the psalmist is going to help us with that. To the remainder of this psalm, he gives us reasons for why God can be trusted 
So let's look at those reasons today for why you and I today can trust the Lord. The first reason is found in the remainder of verse 2 that we haven't looked at yet. And it's this. God can be trusted because his care is powerful. His care is powerful. Look at what he says, verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The author here reminds himself of who the Lord is. He's not just a therapeutic help to turn to. He's not just a listening ear of someone who, who, who allows you to, to talk to him. He is the God who made heaven and earth. Notice he mentions God's creative power first. This is where the world began. This is where God and, and, and our existence began. It was through his creative power. And so the psalmist begins there. Who is Yahweh? He is the one who made heaven and earth. And lest you be confused, there's only one being who ever has filled that role as maker of heaven and earth. How did Yahweh make heaven and earth? He spoke it into existence out of nothing. Genesis 1 makes this abundantly clear. In fact, turn there with me. Turn to the first page of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1. I just want you to see the force of the language that Moses wrote here for us so that we are not confused about how this world began. Verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the introductory statement that God is about to create all that is. And the opening verse makes it abundantly clear that God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? Verse 3, and God said. Verse 6, and God said. Verse 9, and God said. Verse 11, and God said. Verse 14, and God said. Verse 20, verse 24, verse 26, and God said. He spoke, and these things came into existence. And this fact that God made the world is to be obvious to all mankind. God set it up so that he was not left without a witness. His creative power was to be seen by all mankind, even unbelieving mankind. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, plain to all mankind, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, Get this, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they, the people, are without excuse. God made his creative power abundantly clear for all mankind. Now, Paul notes here that for the unbeliever, the fact that they don't recognize this, it's a, it's a point of condemnation. They're now without excuse. But for the believer, it's a source of faith. 
Because God made all things, he thus maintains all things and controls and directs everything in his creation. Nothing happens outside his direction, friends. That means that every situation we face, every danger that threatens, is within his created realm. Nothing falls outside of his dominion. For we who have put our faith in the revealed word of God must remind ourselves of God's creative power. Because it is in remembering this that we bolster our faith to trust his loving care. This is what the psalmist back in Psalm 121 does. He reminds himself and thus reminds every reader since that because God is the creator, he can be trusted. He can be our help. Why can the psalmist and why can you trust God to help you today? Because he lacks no power or strength. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Amen. Friends, God can meet your every need. No problem is too big for him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he has all the power in the universe and he can do whatever he wants and he can meet any situation? God is your help. His tender care is your only hope. But as he gently comes to your aid, he does so with infinite power and infinite resources. Charles Spurgeon says, I'm going to quote a lot of Spurgeon today, some great reminders. He said this, he said, Everyone who is a man of God has omnipotence as his guardian. And God will sooner empty heaven of angels than leave a saint without defense. God will sooner empty heaven of angels than leave a saint without defense. That means you, brother or sister. God is there to help and protect. So take heart, believer. The Lord's care is powerful. But secondly, his care is tireless. It's tireless. And we see this in verses 3 and 4. In these next two verses, the faithfulness and watchfulness of the Lord is emphasized. It says, verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Remember that this is composed by a traveler, someone who walked many miles and was sung by travelers. It was sung by those who also were walking. And, and again, it was mostly by foot. Very few could afford animals to ride upon. Therefore, stable footing and around-the-clock security were basic concerns. And the psalmist says, both of these concerns are not a problem when the Lord is his help. 
Now, I believe the believers of old, as well as us today, are best to interpret the promises of this psalm primarily in the spiritual arena. Meaning this. In other words, I don't think verse 3, that he will not let your foot be moved, is a promise that you and I can take with us hiking and say that, that, our, that if we go hiking, our foot will never slip upon the path. Rather, it's saying that God is able to so keep the believer that he will not misstep spiritually. God can keep the believer from stepping off the path toward unbelief. God keeps his foot secure. Our feet are secure on the narrow path of salvation because God will not let our foot be moved. One old commentator said it this way. He said, there is something very striking in the assurance that the Lord will not suffer the foot of even the most faint and wearied one to be moved. The everlasting mountains stand fast, and we feel as if, like Mount Zion, they, they could not be removed forever. But the step of man, how feeble it, in it is, is in and of itself. How liable to stumble or, or trip even against a pebble in the way. Yet, that foot is as firm and immovable in God's protection as the hills themselves. Friends, as, as the, this pilgrim looks to the hills and looks to his own feet, he knows that with the help of the Lord, his feet are just as stable as those mountains. Because it's God who keeps them. The point is this. The security of the believer rests exclusively in the sovereign work of God. And so I have a newsflash for you. You, you are not the one who keeps you saved. God sustains you. God holds you. And remember, this is what Jude wrote of when he prayed, and finishing off his, his uh, book in Jude 24, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from stumbling, to keep your feet from being moved. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God keeps his children as they walk along the path of this life to the final day. And so you can know that God keeps you from stumbling. And keeps you until that final day. Let me remind you of the words of the hymn writer that we sing often. When I fear my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Friends, he doesn't just hold us, he holds us fast. The grip 
that the Lord has upon his children never weakens and never tires. The psalmist makes it clear that the Lord is tireless. It says that he who keeps you will not slumber. In fact, he says it twice. Then in verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He wants us to, to see the point that God never needs to rest. He, he, he doesn't lack anything. He's completely self-sufficient. He's not like us and we who needs to rest and recharge. And again, this qualifies him to be our faithful keeper. It qualifies him to be the one that we look to for help, that we trust in our trials, in our suffering, and in our difficulties. He alone can watch over us at all times. Believer, there's never a moment that the Lord's eyes are closed. He's never weary. He's never taken a nap. He's always vigilant. You'll remember that Elijah, in 1 Kings 18, he's battling with the prophets of Baal up there on Mount Carmel. And as the prophets of Baal are trying to get the attention of this false god, Elijah's kind of mocking them. And he says, uh, hey, maybe your god's asleep. Maybe he's taking a nap. You better yell a little louder to wake him up. <laughs> and Elijah could say that because he knew that the true God of Israel, the one and only God, Yahweh, never sleeps and never slumbers. That's not a problem for the real God. And praise God that he never wearies in his care for you and for me. Friends, we know how tiresome it is to care for one another. It's tiresome to care for our children it's tiring and wearisome to care for loved ones who are weak and ailing. And yet, the Lord, Yahweh, who made heaven and earth, never tires. He never wearies of our weakness. He never rolls our eyes at our infirmities. He never wearies of our cries for help. He never wearies of hearing our requests day after day, time and time again. He never wearies of working in, our, in your, your heart and in your life for your good. He never wearies of fighting back the world, the flesh, and the devil for your sake. He never tires. He never ends. He continually presses on in the task. The Lord is your keeper. No one else can fill that role, believer. He's the sentry stationed at the door of your faith and nothing can be snuck past him. His care of you is round the clock. And so, take heart, believer. The Lord's care is tireless. It's powerful. It's tireless. Thirdly, his care is intimate. It's intimate. And we see this in verses 5 and 6. The psalmist goes on, he says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. No, I want you to notice that the word your is used three times. Three times. The Lord is your keeper. He's your shade at your right hand. 
And as he had mentioned in verse 4 that he's uh, the keeper of Israel, he now turns from the community to the individual. Not only does he keep the nation, Israel, as the psalmist was reminding himself, and we could extrapolate that he keeps the church, but he also keeps each believer individually. The author is highlighting the believer's distinct privilege. Each one who trusts in the Lord has the Lord as his keeper. Now he describes this intimate keeping by saying that the Lord is your shade on your right hand. To be a shade means to be one's protection. And you could think of it in the, the, the harsh sun of a, of a Middle Eastern climate, the desert sun, to find a tree that protects you from that, the beating down of that sun is, is a protection. And to be at the right hand means to be at our side, to be close, to be close. Therefore, we can surmise this, that in the Lord, every Christian has as an intimate and close protector the Lord, who is a close guardian for us. Christian, we can be thankful that we don't have to call a, a spiritual 911 and wait for some spiritual to police to, to arrive at our address a few minutes later. We have a personal bodyguard with us at all times. The Lord, who is our shade at our right hand, and the psalmist highlights the security of the believer that the believer enjoys by saying that the sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. And in this, I think it's just simply a metaphorical way for him to describe the security that, that, that the believer enjoys throughout the totality of his life. There's no hour of the day in which the security from the Lord ceases. There's no time that the Lord goes on break. There's no place we can go where that security is not offered to us. But we can understand for a pilgrim walking upon a path, they would understand the, the dangers of the day and the dangers of the night. The hot sun beating down upon them during the day. The cold nights and potential thieves that may attack at night. But the point is, is that day and night, the Lord is keeping his people. So what does this mean for us? It means that God, our loving Father, is near to us in our trouble. Friends, the Lord is near to you in your circumstances today. He's your shade at your right hand. The Lord is has not taken a break, has not gone off on other business. He is intimately acquainted with your circumstances, with your suffering, with your pain, with your, the weights and burdens upon your heart. And he is there to help. He is there to listen. Whatever difficulty is in your life, 
whatever your soul may be troubled with, whatever suffering you're going through, the Lord knows, the Lord understands, and is working to keep you and hold you and keep your faith from slipping. I want you to see this in some other verses. Turn with me to Psalm 145. A few chapters to the right, Psalm 145. David there says, looking in verses 18 through 20, says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. The Lord is near to all who call on him. He preserves us. He hears our cry. Do you see the loving heart of your father? Do you see that he's there available to you? He's near to you. Let that strengthen your faith this morning. That the father is not distant. He's intimately acquainted with your ways. And there with you now. Turn to the left to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. A familiar chapter to many of us with great truths to remind our hearts of. I just want you to just want to draw attention to two verses, Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. And remembers that we are dust. Friends, again, we have a Father who knows and who understands. Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the brokenhearted. He does not run away from trouble. But he's right there with us, tenderly caring for us. It's as the hymn writer says, Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame, he knows. In his hand, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. When our eyes of faith can see our loving and sovereign Father close at hand to help, we can live with peace in our hearts. Friends, as the storm of life rages around us, and sometimes even in us, we can have peace because the Lord is our keeper. He's our shade at our right hand. We can be still and know that He is God. The story is told of a captain who commanded a vessel sailing from Liverpool to New York. And on one voyage, he had all his family with him on board the ship. One night, when all were quietly asleep, there arose a sudden squall of wind, which came sweeping over the waters until it struck the vessel and instantly threw it on its side, tumbling and crashing everything that was movable and awakening the passengers to a consciousness that they were in immediate peril. Everyone on board was alarmed and uneasy. And some sprang from their beds and began to dress that they might be ready for the worst. The captain 
had a little girl on board, just eight years old, who, of course, was awoke with the rest of them. What's the matter, said the frightened child. They told her a, a squall had, sh- had struck the ship. Is father on deck, she asked. Yes, father's on deck, was the reply. The little thing then dropped herself on her pillow again, without a fear, and in a few moments was sleeping sweetly in spite of the winds and waves. Believer, we can take heart that as the winds and the waves bash against us and storm about us, we have a heavenly Father who's at the helm, and he intimately cares for us so we can be at peace and be at rest. Finally, this morning, I want us to see, fourthly, in this psalm, that the Lord's care is comprehensive. His care is comprehensive. And we see this in the final two verses of this psalm. He writes, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now this psalm ends with some sweeping promises that are meant to comfort and strengthen the believer's heart. And I pray that it comforts our hearts this morning. Now at one level, when we read verse 7, it says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now there's a certain sense in which we can read that and we can feel like the promise there is a little overblown. Really? The Lord will keep us from all evil? I don't know about you, psalmist, but there, there's evil that I'm faced with every day. I mean, aren't Christians still susceptible to experiencing evil? We live in a fallen world. We get diseases. We are victims of persecution. How can the psalmist say that the Lord will keep us from all evil? Well, I think the sense is this, that in the midst of all evil in this life, the Lord is our keeper. The Lord will keep and hold on to us. He'll watch over us. He will guard us. He will be with us. He will see us through any and all trials that we face. And in the end, we will have the victory. Evil doesn't win in the end. Rather, the Lord wins. In the end, the believer will be kept from all evil because of the saving power of God. Evil will have no hold on us. And in that, in the end, in that final day, there will be no scar of evil upon us. Not one accusation of the devil will stick to us. Therefore, like David reminds us in Psalm 23, we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, for he is with us and his rod and his staff, they comfort us. We will and we do walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible is clear that the believer is not exempted from suffering. Job learned that and is a testimony to us all. But we can be confident and sure 
that the Lord will bring us through that valley of the shadow of death, that he is in that valley with us, and that he is working on our behalf to keep us each moment of every day. The psalmist here also reminds us that the Lord will keep your life, he says, or keep your soul. The Hebrew word is nefesh. It can be translated either life or soul. It's used in several different ways, but the point is that the most important part of you and your life will be kept by the Lord. The most important thing about you will be, will be sealed and protected. Possessions will fade away, but the Lord will keep your soul. Reputation will change, and friends may change, but the Lord will keep your soul. Friends, even health may change, but the Lord will keep your soul. In these days of great fear all around us and situation changing seemingly by the hour and by the day, church, we must remind ourselves of what is most important. Our world is concerned with a virus as the great enemy of humanity. But we know in light of eternity, there are greater threats to us. Sin infects us all and has greater consequences than a virus. While a virus only kills us once, sin kills us twice. It brings about our physical death, known as the first death, and then it brings about our spiritual death, known as the second death. Everyone right now is afraid of the first death, and too few are afraid of the second. But as a believer, we know that our souls are kept by the Lord. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, Our soul is kept from the dominion of sin, the infection of error, the crush of despondency, the puffing up of pride. Kept from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Kept for holier and greater things. Kept in the love of God. Kept unto the eternal kingdom and glory. What harm, what can harm a soul that is kept of the Lord? And the answer is nothing. Nothing can harm our souls if we are kept by the Lord. And don't misunderstand me. We are deeply concerned to see this virus stopped in its tracks. We, we want to take all actions possible, which is why the format is as it is, to help stop the spread of this and to preserve and save human life. That is definitely our concern for, for love of the neighbor around us. But it's not our greatest concern. Our concern is not just for our bodies, but for our souls. We aren't just concerned for the health, the physical health of our neighbors, but of the spiritual health. For the believer, all the evils that can befall us in this life, including a coronavirus, are given by the hand of a loving father. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says again. He says, It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. Impossible that any ill should happen to him who is beloved of the Lord. 
the most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. Ill to him is no ill, but only good in a mysterious form. And I know that there are many of you that have experienced what he's talking about. That the ill, the the difficulties, the trials, the suffering that comes your way, yes, is hard, yes, is painful, but it's part of God's goodness to you. God is using it in your hearts and in your life, in your family's life, and the people around you to shape you in more like Christ. It's part of coming from God's loving hand. Even the loss of health can be the means of the Lord's blessing for us for good. The commentator Matthew Henry said this. He says some hard words. He says, sometimes Christ sees that we need the sickness for the good of our souls more than the healing for the ease of our bodies. Let me read that again. Sometimes Christ sees that we need the sickness that we find in our bodies for the good of our souls more then we need the healing for the ease of our bodies. God, friends, God is at work. He's working in and through even the most terrible of circumstances. And he's using it to bring about good in our souls. And in fact, how amazing is it, right? How amazing is it that our almighty God can take something the world sees as ugly and disastrous and he can turn it for our good. Even evil and sickness is not outside his control. He is leveraging it for the good of his people and for his glory. Don't be mistaken, friends. This virus is not outside of God's control. And neither is whatever suffering is in your life right now. But look at how the psalmist finishes here in verse 8. He says, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The psalm finishes with a comprehensive statement of the Lord's care. It's comprehensive in that it covers all locations and all of time. Notice he says, he will keep your going out and your coming in. Saying that wherever your feet may tread, no matter where you go, the Lord will keep you. There's no place we can go that falls outside his jurisdiction. There's no aspect of our lives that is not covered. Likewise, this care will never end. Our Father is always watching over us from this time forth and forevermore. He, his care for us cannot be overwhelmed. There's never going to be some, some maximum point where he cannot take care of his people. He never gets overloaded. He never gets tired as we've already seen. And so he can care for all of his people from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm, 
as we've seen, exudes confidence. This psalmist makes some radical claims and bold declarations in the midst of these comprehensive promises. It speaks of unfailing security that you can take to the bank, that you can depend on any time of day through our entire lives. And maybe you're listening to this message and you're wondering how you can have this security. How can you have this kind of confidence to be able to walk through life in the midst of the storms of life and to be able to have a keeper, to be able to have one to depend upon, to have a rock to lean upon, a fortress to hide in, a tender father to call out to? Do you Feel frightened and fearful? Are you anxious with no relief in sight? Deep down, are you desperate to know with certainty that everything will turn out right in the end? Let me say that this security can be yours today. It's available to you through Jesus Christ. Jesus, being God of very God, came and walked upon this earth. He submitted himself to life in this fallen world, even though he was sinless himself. He lived a righteous life that we could never live, and he was then crucified and buried. But on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, he rose again. He conquered death. He defeated the greatest enemy. You see, the Bible says that the the devil holds humanity in slavery through the fear of death. And is that not what we see around the globe at this moment? People in slavery to the fear of death. But Jesus came. Jesus came to set us free from that slavery. He came to release us from the grasp of the devil, to destroy the works of the devil. And he, as the great conqueror of death, calls every man and woman, every boy and girl, to put their trust and faith in him alone. To lean upon him as their only safety and only security, the only hope in life and death. Only in him is your soul safe. Only in Jesus are you kept for all of eternity. Only in Jesus are you shielded from all evil. And is your soul kept? Trust in him. Repent of failing to trust in him. Repent of trusting in everything else for that is idolatry and trust in Jesus alone. Only in him is salvation found. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait for tomorrow for we do not know what tomorrow brings. Trust completely in him. Fear not only the first death but the second death and the only way to be kept safe from that hour is by trusting in Jesus, the Son of God. Only in Him are we safe. The hymn writer Isaac Watts wrote this. Should all the hosts of death and the powers of hell unknown put their most dreadful forms of rage and malice on, I shall be safe For Christ displays superior power and guardian grace. 
Trust in Christ today. Trust in him and you will know the Lord as your keeper, not just today, but from this time forth and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, what should our response to this psalm be? We should be able to see the description of the Lord and his, his care to us, that it's powerful, that it's tireless, that it's intimate, that it's comprehensive. And we should then be able to say with happy confidence, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our minds, our hearts, our prayers must be directed to him. We need to memorize this psalm. We need to plant it deep in our hearts. We need to quote it to ourselves and quote it to each other. And we need to do as John Calvin says and put a bridle on our minds and turn it back to the Lord when our, our, our hearts are tempted to stray and to look in other directions. Only then will God's peace that passes understanding guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God bless you, beloved. May the Lord keep you today in the days ahead. Let me close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word, for the reminder that you continue to sit upon your throne, that you are the one who made heaven and earth, that nothing falls outside your jurisdiction, nothing is outside your control, and that you turn all things for your good. Thank you, Father, that you keep us. Thank you that we do not have to trust ourselves to keep our souls, but you do that for us. Would you please increase our faith? Would you please cause each one of us to trust you more heartedly today and in the days ahead? We confess that, that fear and worry are knocking at the door of our hearts. And so we ask that your spirit might mightily work within us to trust in Christ alone. And we believe and know that you will keep us from this day forth and forevermore. And we give you praise. It's in Christ's mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you, beloved.